0: I do want to thank Bruce for filling in for me last week as I had the opportunity to do Caroline Huey, who is now Caroline Parks' wedding in Phoenix, and I had the opportunity to be able to do that, and also while I was out there, I had the opportunity to baptize my niece and nephew who are in their 20s, and uh, they've been waiting for a while to be able to do that, and they wanted me to be uh, a part of that celebration of life change. So with that, they waited, the opportunity came, so I was able to do that. And I was really excited to be able to be a part of that next step for them. If that's something you've never done, a baptism, um, we would love to be a part of that for you as well, taking that next step and following Christ. And I would love to be able to talk to you about that a little bit. But I do appreciate Bruce bringing the word last week and speaking the truth about the golden rule. That golden rule that, you know, he, he brought a humility and a humbleness to the approach to that text because we really do need to be reminded that we need to treat each other as we would want to be treated. There is no except or unless that is tagged onto that passage. And in that, that's a hard thing to hear because there's certain people you want to treat a certain way and there's certain people you don't want to treat a certain way. So we have to hear that and apply that. We know we did. We know the crowd that was listening to Jesus at that point in time on that Sermon on the Mount did. We also know the scribes and Pharisees were sitting there and listening. They needed to hear it as well that audience i thought about it often as we've been going through this now for months the sermon on the mount the people who are sitting there and listening you have the disciples who are sitting close he brought them in the closest you have the crowd on the outside and on that crowd on the outside just beyond it is the scribes and the pharisees who are are scoffing at it and all the different religious people and and the reason why they were scoffing at us because they thought they had it all figured out And one of the things that I've found is when I think I have it all figured out, I tend not to listen to whoever's speaking. And so when I look at it in that way, I have to remember that I don't have it all figured out and I do need to listen. But when you look at those scribes and Pharisees, that that wasn't the thought process they had in their minds. They began to think, you know, I've been taught this way for years. And I have been living this way for years. And look at me, I have this religious status of a scribe, or I have this religious status of a Pharisee, or this religious status where I'm above everybody else. So I don't need to listen. People need to listen to me. And as I began to think about that, that was just a pompous attitude. A pompous attitude that the religious of the day carried. And they announced their opinions as a matter of fact. They, they lit the, the room up with their opinions as if it were fact. I mean, there was a word that, that Bruce used last week. I believe it was pontificate. Some people, I guess, came up to him afterwards and said, Hey, what does that word mean? To pontificate means to speak your opinions boldly as if they were fact. And that's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees did. Not that people do that anymore, right? But. That's what they were all about, letting people know where they had set the bar, letting people know that they had met the standards that they had created, and in their self-righteous thinking, they challenged people to do the same, and if they didn't do the same, they looked down on them, again, going back to last week's message, and there's this ordinary crowd that, that believed what these teachers were saying, and they followed it. And as they followed it they had been saddled with the burdens of all of these rules all the rules that they they had been told by the scribes and pharisees until jesus came and when jesus came he brought clarity He, he brought authority he brought sincerity as a matter of fact he just brought something different you know what he brought he brought the truth He brought the truth, not all the rules. He brought the truth. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has brought out this this truth. And he showed us the true nature of true righteousness versus the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He talked about how we live, how we think, how we act, how we react. This is what the, the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about. And we have now come to the conclusion. We are now two messages away from being done with the sermon on the mount starting in matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 29 this is the wrap-up and jesus like any good preacher and he's the best by the way like any good preacher he wraps it up with a call to respond i see that hand And he wants us to respond in some way, shape, or form. So we have Matthew 7, 13 through 29. This week we're going to do 13 through 23, and next week 24 through 29. But this is what he does for his response he gives you a choice. As the title of our message indicates, it's your choice. It's your choice. You have two options. You must choose between two ways two roads two gates two crowds two destinations two realities and next week two foundations you have to choose the choice is yours and it comes down to this how are you going to live your life how are you going to live your life either for him or against him either in him or in yourself and in your own power how are you going to live today we come to the fork in the road jesus has led all of it up to this and he says which path are you going to go down That is where we find ourselves, And you know what? Life is filled with choices, isn't it? From the basics of everyday life. your, Your daily, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna wear? What are you gonna eat? What time are you gonna go to bed? What time are you gonna wake up? Basic decisions. How are you gonna spend your money? How are you going to spend your energy? What are you going to do in the small things? And then also there's the big ones. You know, some of you kids right now are thinking about, where am I gonna go to school? Where will I live? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do with my life? Those are big decisions. Who and what are you going to vote for? That was a huge decision leading up to Tuesday, and then everything's quiet, right? I can't wait to watch football today without political commercials. It's going to be great. What am I going to stand for? What am I going to live for? And all of those life-determining choices, when they come right down to it, They have a foundational choice that they built off of. All of those little choices comes down to one. And that's a choice that is talked about throughout the Bible. If you go to Psalm 1, Psalm 1 talks about choose to follow God or choose to follow the wicked. Proverbs 15 says choose righteousness and uprightness or choose wickedness and laziness. Deuteronomy 30 says choose life and blessing or choose death and cursing. My guess is there's at least a handful of people that have this verse posted up in their house. Deuteronomy, or sorry, Joshua twenty four fifteen. You probably have it in some sign, but it says, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose yourself today which you will worship. The gods of your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River or on the gods of the Amorites whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. You can choose between the God over everything or the gods of everything. The God over everything or the gods of this world. What are you going to choose? Because it is your choice. Like these passages of the Old Testament, Matthew 7, 13 through 27, it lays out a series of choices for us to make in our lives daily lives but more importantly it doesn't just affect our daily lives it will affect your eternity it will affect your eternity here's the questions four of them that i wrote down some from this week some for next week will you choose the difficult road and the narrow road and the difficult gate and the narrow gate that leads to eternal life or will you choose the broad road and the wide gate that leads to eternal destruction what are you going to choose Will you choose to be aware of the wolf in sheep's clothing that want to blur the lines of that first question? That want to make it seem not so black and white? Or will you choose to have your ears tickled because being challenged to change hurts? Will you choose to make a genuine confession and follow Christ obediently? Or will you make a false profession of faith so you can continue to live on your own but not really make Jesus Lord? Next week, will you build your life on the word of God or will you build your life on the things of this world? Those are the questions. If you want them simply, the question is, is where are you going eternally? Where are you going? Who is your guide? What will your life look like as a result? And would you be living that good life in Christ or not? That, that's where we find ourselves today. And, and I tell you this, these are not easy questions, but they're honest questions they're true questions and when you try and let them soak in you can't just take them lightly but here's the thing we have to understand you only have two options there is no other option there is no other choice you either choose god or you don't and here in the sermon on the mount after he's told you how to live how to respond how to act how to react all of those things it comes to a climax and the climax comes down to a question, two choices, and it demands that response. And to not choose is to choose. To not choose is to choose. Sitting on the fence and remaining neutral is not an option. You have two roads. You have two gates. You have two crowds. You have two destinations. Choose one or the other. There is no middle-of-the-road Christianity. Either you're walking with Jesus or you are not. That's it. That's it. And that's why this passage is so hard because so often in the church it's not taught like that. There's this, hey, take time and ponder. We don't have time to ponder. That is a blunt statement. But here is where we need to see it at. Jesus says right out in verse 13. You heard Bruce read it? Here's what he says. Enter through the narrow gate. He does not say, take time and ponder about the narrow gate take time and ponder about the narrow road he says enter through the narrow gate why well it says it next for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction and there are many underline that word many many who go through it how narrow is the gate verse 14 and difficult the road that leads to life and few underline that find it see our first choice comes through the narrow gate the narrow road that follows the broad gate and the broad road that follows that is your choice and the road you are on will determine your destination the road you're on will determine your destination so let's take a look at these two roads the broad road that broad gate it is wide open that's the word, what the word broad means wide open anything goes you can do anything you like you can live any way you want you call the shots you make the rules That's where we find ourselves. You follow your heart. You basically don't have to answer to anybody on the broad road. It's a road of tolerance. It's openly diverse to all different opinions and is lax on morals. Because there's plenty of room, guess what? You can carry your baggage. You can take your sin. And it seems to be an easy way to live because the only person that you need to worry about on that road is you. The road seems like the logical choice. It's an easy road to be on. As a matter of fact, it's the default road that you end up on. Because you don't end up on the other road by accident. You don't even have to even try and be on this road. And the thing is, you don't even have to really try and be a bad person to be on this road. It's open to everyone and anyone. Even people who go to church. Even people who tithe. Even people who serve. Even people are, who are in a connection group. The only person it's not open to is Jesus. Because he's too narrow-minded. He's too narrow in the approach. There's too many rules that come with it, and there's too much life change, and life change can hurt. Then there's the narrow gate, the narrow road. Jesus actually calls it difficult. He calls it difficult. It's narrow because the boundaries are clearly marked. It's constricted, and it's constricting. Guess what you don't get to take? You don't get to take your rights, on that road because there's not enough room you don't get to carry your desires on that road because there isn't enough room and you don't get to carry your sins because you leave those at the gate you don't get to make the rules but instead the gate himself by the way John ten nine, where Jesus says I am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved that gate has taken our sin and we've laid down our rights and our desires to live for his this isn't again something that we do accidentally it's not something we do accidentally it's not the default so as we enter in we have to drop ourselves we lay ourselves down and we pick up our cross and it will change you see the boundaries of this road they are made clear through divine revelation they're made clear God has revealed them through his word through his will, that which is true and good, the scriptures tell us about. That's what Jesus is telling us about throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Boundaries on how we believe, boundaries on how we act. And here's the thing, in comparison to the broad road, it is hard. It is difficult. It's even hard to to preach like this, because I feel like one of those independent Bible-thumping pulpit smacking preachers when i'm talking like this you know i'm not leaving any room for any other decisions you have one or you have the other by the way that is not a pulpit but uh, here's here's the thing as we look at it it's hard because what it comes down to is we don't want to give up what we have now for what we can have on that narrow road and at the destination of that narrow road we can't see past right now We say, I gotta have this. And Jesus is like, no, you gotta have me. And and we have to get past that. And I wanna fill in some some blanks, maybe on the dark side of that broad road, because it sounds easy and it sounds great, but here's two things you need to know. First is this, even though you think you're in control on that broad road, you're not. Let me read from you from the book of Ephesians chapter two, how Paul describes people on the broad road. When you... We're on or are on the broad road. This is you. It says, and you are dead in your trespasses. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you previously walked. This word here says, accordingly. Accordingly to the ways of the world. According to the ruler of the power of the air. Who's in control? Satan. He's driving it. He's got the power of of the the air, and, and he is leading the ways of the world. You're not in control. And the spirit of now is working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. We're not in control. That's the first thing we have to know about the broad road. The second thing is this. Sin brings with it pain and sorrow and it ends in destruction. It ends in eternity without God. People in this world, What do they strive for? What was the thing that that really drove those political commercials? Wasn't it hope and peace and comfort and security? These are the things that were like, hey, we have to vote these certain people in so we can have these certain things. But here is the deal. The more we chase after that, the more we realize, at best, they're temporary if they happen at all in this world. Because, Jesus is those things, as we will see at Advent, it is hope, love, joy, and peace. That's what he brings, Emmanuel, God with us. That's where we find ourselves. But when there is an absence of God, which is the end of that broad road, there's an absence of peace and love and joy and comfort and security, all the things that people think are they're going to get. So that first question is, is which road? Which gate will you choose? Not to choose is to choose. Here's what I want you to find courage in. An encouragement in. To take a stand, to walk the narrow road. There is a quote that has been attributed to multiple different people. One that has been given to you as an African pastor in Zimbabwe who was martyred shortly after he penned these words. I just want to read them to you. Because either him or anybody else who wrote it, it's a challenge for us i am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed i have holy spirit power the die has been cast i have stepped over the line the decision has been made i am a disciple of his i won't look back let up slow down back away or be still my past is redeemed my present makes sense and my future is secure i'm finished with low living sight walking Small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need prominence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set, my gait is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I can't be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at a table of the enemy. Ponder the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until to all I know and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. That I read and it gave me goosebumps for the 15th time this week. Like I can't wait to get to that part because what if every Christian held to that creed? What if every person who called themselves a believer said exactly those words and lived it? Instead of taking the easy way, instead of taking the cheap way, instead of taking the lazy way to serve God, What if? See, that is the gate and the road, but we haven't even looked at the destination. The two choices for the destination. See, we're all going to end up somewhere. You might as well end up there on purpose, right? All roads lead somewhere. In this case, Jesus makes it very clear. Narrow road leads to heaven. Narrow gate is the way there. Broad road and broad gate, they lead to hell. Heaven and hell, no matter what you may think, Or no matter what you may want to think, there is a heaven and there is a hell. We've tried to erase that too often in our in our casual Christianity, but the truth of the matter is there is a heaven and there is a hell. Heaven is eternal life in fellowship with God. Hell, as Jesus uses, is destruction. And by destruction, he does not mean annihilation, which means when you die everything's over. Some people believe that. That is not the case. The destruction is is the destruction of all things good like your joy and your hope and your peace and your and your love because those are God and the absence of God will have the absence of those things so it's your choice it's your choice and honestly when I see this passage in just those first two verses the two words I had you underline many and few those are the things that break my heart the most there are as many who are on that road to destruction and the crowd is good and the crowd is gonna be the ones who are encouraging you to keep going down that way, but then there's going to be few on the way to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean there's only gonna be a few in heaven because of Revelation as we talked about at the beginning of this year. Can you remember, remember that way back when we started talking about that? It said there's multitudes that are worshiping Jesus. There's multitudes at, the, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the throne, I mean. And so as we see that, we have to remember There's only a few that are truly following Jesus here, though. And I use the word truly following because of what Jesus says next in verses 15 through 20. So it says, "...be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit." Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. So, what Jesus has done here is he's given us a choice. He said, Who are you listening to? What voice, excuse me, what voice are you listening to? Who is your guide on the road that you are on? There are plenty of messengers that are in the world today, even still, that are leading people down the wrong road. They like to blur the lines of that first heaven or hell narrow road broad road let's, let's just kind of we'll just kind of no there is no middle ground but that's what the teachers want to do he calls them wolves in sheep's clothing he calls them bad fake fruit trees and here's what he needs you to know about them they are sneaky and they will sneak themselves into the big c church as well as the little c church we have to be aware and they're dangerous. They are deceptive, they're divisive, and they are destructive. They are here to kill, steal, and destroy. We have to be aware. We have to be on our guard. We have to pay attention because Satan, he likes to operate in subtleties. He likes to do things behind him. He doesn't just come out. The whole idea of Satan as a red devil with a pitchfork is just a farsight joke. That, that's all it is. There's nothing more to it. He is an angel of light, and he's going to do his best to deceive you in every way he possibly can we have to see through the charade. We have to see past the exterior to the heart of the matter. If you've been with us through the Sermon on the Mount, what's it been about? The heart of the matter is the heart itself. We have to see the heart. So, these false teachers and prophets, these false prophets, they, they wear the prophet wardrobe, but they don't live the prophet's life. We know, as Transformers tells us, there's more that meets the eye. We know that we can spot a wolf by its life. We can spot a bad tree by its fruit. You know, here's the thing. This tree, it's going to hide, but you're going to be able to tell by the fruit it produces. You may not know what kind of tree it is by looking at the leaves, but you will know what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it produces. It can't stay in hiding for very long. So how do we be on guard? How do we not be deceived? Well, the first thing is we need to look at their beliefs or even more so their creeds. Their belief or their creed, are they in line with God's word? Are they in line with the scriptures? Now, how do you know that? Well, you know that because you're supposed to know the scriptures. You need to be in your Bibles as well, yeah. I have people sometimes say, you know, Matt, uh, I gotta go to a different church because I just don't feel fed. Guess what? My job is to teach you how to eat, not to feed you. I get to feed you on Sunday mornings. I'm I grateful right for, for it. But you guys, if you're only eating on Sunday mornings, you're going to be one week puppy by the time Saturday comes. You have to know your scriptures. That's the beliefs and the creed. And then know them and compare them to what's being taught. The second is, is look at their behavior. Even more so, their character. See, none of us are perfect. I will stand up here, right here, right now, and tell you I am far from perfect. And I will get a second on that from anybody who lives in my house told you that is the that is the truth of the matter but I hope that even when I fall I hope that the words that I challenge you with on a Sunday morning I am doing everything I can to live out in the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the week I hope that is the case for me we look at the characters. see remember Jesus is talking to a crowd that, that is watching scribes and Pharisees they Knew how to follow the rules. Their, their rule following was literally top notch. But what about their character? What about their character? What about the heart change that comes with the confession of being a sinner who's in full need of a Savior because they can't save themselves? See, Jesus calls them out in Matthew 15, 18, just a few chapters later, when he says, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, we had a word, we called it a poser. Some of you made a comment this morning, they're like, man, you look nice. I appreciate that. It's because I tucked my shirt in today. (laughs) But I went into the closet and realized everything's long sleeves now and I have to iron most of my long sleeve shirts. And I was like, oh, which one do I not have to iron? Oh, the hoedown shirt, my Western shirt, okay? Let me just tell you, wearing a Western shirt and, and wearing somewhat of boots and driving a truck and listening to some country music every once in a while, you know what that doesn't make me? A cowboy, And most certainly not a Cowboys fan. But um, (laughs) that's the only dig I get today, because at the end of the day, you can all make fun of me, all right? Uh, Here's the thing I can act like a cowboy, I can talk like a cowboy, I can do whatever I want in that way, but until the rubber meets the road and I am one, it doesn't matter. We can act like a Christian. We can talk like a Christian. We can know the lingo. We can even dress like it on a Sunday morning. But if you don't know Jesus, and even more importantly, if he doesn't know you, it doesn't matter. That's what this passage is about. So we continue on from there. We also have to look at the fruit they bear. Don't just look at what they say they believe. Look at what their belief actually produces because role-playing does not produce fruit. Role-playing doesn't produce fruit. And fruit is a major indicator in so many different areas. I just wrote down a couple of them. Fruit, first of all, is a mark of genuine faith. Do you abide in Jesus? See, it's going to play itself out in our way, and in our lives. John 15, one through 5, Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. As a matter of fact, fruit is an indicator of our walk with God. The more we abide, the more fruit we produce. Fruit is evidence of God's shaping and pruning in our lives because also in John fifteen one through five, it says, hey, he's gonna cut off some of those branches, some of that baggage that we're supposed to leave at the gate, the stuff we can't take on the narrow road. He's going to be cutting those things off. It's gonna hurt a little bit? Yeah, but is it necessary? Absolutely, because we will bear more fruit. Fruit is also an outreach. The fruit in our lives will affect others. Fruit brings glory to God. See who I am? what I do, what I give, how I serve, what I say, they're not from me, they're from him and all glory goes back to him because of it. Because if it was from me, it'd be horrible. Because me on my own, I'm a horrible person. The Bible says that. See, if these are the things that are missing and the voices that are leading you, you may want to reevaluate what voice you're listening to because they're probably leading you down the wrong path. You have to look at it in that way that brings us to our final choice of the day and that is the two realities Je- jesus talks about this deception coming from false teachers trying to lead you the wrong way but you know what also happens we have this thing called self-deception we try and believe in ourselves that there's a real way and there is a false way and that false way just sounds so much easier it's kind of like that road thing we look at it and we say but if i can just be good enough on my own then i don't have to listen to jesus The false teacher is going to tell you that. Your good works are going to get you to heaven. But the teacher is going to say, you have to be saved by grace through faith. So listen to what he says next here. And again, remember the audience. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you law breakers. I just want you to imagine the scene for just a second. You've come to the end of your life. You've lived your life thinking you were truly serving God. You are doing all these great things in his name only to find out that he never knew you and he rejects you. It is scary. As a matter of fact, I wrote the word. It is terrifying. It is a terrifying thought. But the fact is, there are people in this room, there are people that are watching online, there are people sitting in churches all over Albuquerque, all over the nation, all over the world that fit into this category. Is that just hard to swallow? What does it mean? Well, it means we gotta check ourselves. See, sin is deceitful, but self-righteousness is the most deceptive of all sin because it gives us illusion that what we are doing is Right true and good before God remember the scribes and the Pharisees I mean think about we've spoke a whole lot about them for the last handful of weeks but most of the ways that we judge a person they, they would meet the standards wouldn't they they're good people they're kind to people they're kind to other Israelites they taught their children about God they taught their children about the laws of Moses they were often generous to the poor they followed all of the moral rules of the society and guess what they were even zealous for God, yet they didn't have a relationship with him. The part that was missing with the relationship with God was the relationship they they didn't know him, and even more so, he didn't know them either here's the other thing they kept calling themselves Lord, Lord, or he, Jesus says that in, in the passage what four times Lord, Lord. That doesn't mean he's talking to the fringe people who only come in on Christmas and Easter. The the people who sneak in when life is rough and hope just to get that little TED Talk to pump them up a little bit. These are the ones who are involved. They're the regular attenders, the givers, the servers. They call themselves Christians. They call themselves believers claiming to know Christ, but the problem is what? He didn't know them. They have an impressive resume before men. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? but their relationship with Jesus is missing. It's missing a changed heart. It's missing a, it has the knowledge, the the head knowledge, but it doesn't have the heart change. There's no lifestyle change. As a matter of fact, D.A. Carson put it this way in his commentary that I just love. It said, it is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience, but it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient it is true that men are saved by god's grace through faith but it's equally true that god's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience any other view of grace cheapens grace and it turns into something unrecognizable cheap grace as bonhoeffer puts it in his book cost of discipleship preaches forgiveness without repentance church membership without the rigors of church discipline discipleship without obedience blessing without persecution Joy without righteousness results without obedience. The entire history of the church, in the entire history of the church, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real obedient ones? And where nominal Christianity is compounded by spectacular profession, it's especially likely to manufacture its own false assurance. Just like false prophets dress up like sheep but are really wolves there's a lot of goats to go to Matthew 25 who dance around like sheeps as well. Here's where we're at in conclusion. These verses, they teach us how important it is to stay close to Jesus. It teaches us how important it is to know Jesus, to love him, and even obey him. I'm going to use this word ponder even though I don't think Jesus wants us to ponder. When you and I ponder the road to walk, we must remember that Jesus is the way and nobody Comes to the Father except through Him. When you ponder the two gates that are open before us and the roads that lead to two eternal destinations, we have to remember that the gate for the sheep is Jesus. He says so in John chapter 10. When you and I ponder the teachers that we will follow and who we can trust to to give us the words of eternal life, we have to hear the words that Peter said to Jesus in John chapter six when he said this, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And when it comes to the essential union of our confession and our obedience, we will daily need to recall the words of John fourteen fifteen. You know what that says? If you say you love me, you will obey my commands. Life is filled with choices. Life is filled with choices that we have to make and that we have to take. See these two words on the screen behind me? Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. May we always choose Jesus. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for the way you continue to work in our lives. Thank you for the way that you bring us up off that broad road that is leading to destruction. That you yourself came, were born of a virgin, you lived the perfect life, you died the substitutionary death, and you rose again on the third day to be the narrow gate to lead us to eternal life. God, we're thankful for that. We're thankful you've taken these graves and turn them into gardens this place with no life to life abundant and god if there's somebody in here who has never chosen your son who's never been led to that place of making that statement of repentance to profess with their mouth that jesus is lord which means the one in control and that that you raised him from the dead that we might be saved god today is that day if there's people that have not taken that next step in baptism, that is a physical profession of that faith to say, I once was dead, I'm buried with Jesus and I rose again, God, may today be the day we make that decision, we make that plan to stand in front of friends and family and say, I am different. God, may we not focus on this cheap idea of grace, this lazy way of serving you, The God, that we step up and we stand out for you. May that be the challenge we hear today as you work in our hearts and you work in our lives. We pray it in your name, amen.